How do, how do I tell Tom that he's a heretic? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend, Thomas Belzamo. And Hi. glad that you've joined uh, us today. Just uh, just uh, pleased today that God has made us reasoning creatures, that we're not robots, but that he's given us things to think about and a brain with which to think. And so we're glad that you have joined the conversation. Tom, how are you doing? Doing good. Uh, good. You know, not, not sure the brain is uh, working at full <laughs> capacity this morning. I suppose some might argue any morning, but, you know. All right. It is what it is. Yeah. Mornings are mornings sometimes, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we want to we want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together for all that you do to support uh, this podcast and uh, and what we may be able to do in the future. Uh, we've been uh, we've been pleased and um, and amazed at how uh, how the sponsorship has grown uh, over the months, and just thank each one who who jumps on board to help, and especially our elite patrons. And if you're interested in becoming one of those, and uh, and if you especially if you're an elite patron, you get a free uh, T-shirt. But any patron gets access to the uh, patron-only message board and can communicate there. And uh, so that's Patreon.com/slash/ReasonTogether. Yes, and the lesson for today in that is be like Jacob. You know who Jacob <laughs> oh. is? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Jacob is our latest elite patron. Uh, so thank you, Jacob, for yes, thank you very much. coming aboard the uh, Reason Together vessel, and uh, appreciate your support. And uh, if you're listening and you're not a patron yet uh, today, be like Jacob. Be like Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, That's Jacob, right. setting the example. That's um, right. All right. Well, thank you uh, for your support. And we'd like to hear your feedback. Uh, doesn't mean not a, even if you're not a patron, we want we want to know uh, what you're asking, what your uh, questions are, maybe even your angle on some things we're talking about. We surely know that we don't see from every angle and um, and we don't always come to a solid conclusion on things. We'd like to just help you in the process and give you an example of what it's like to have a friend um, with whom you can talk and be candid without being called a heretic. And so, um, yes. so if you've got some thoughts of your own, we uh, welcome those. It's reason together podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Um, well, why don't we, uh, why don't we jump right in this okay. morning? Let's, and, let's do it. Uh, just hit hit the ground running. Okay. Um, we've got some feedback here first mm-hmm. okay. that we can probably hit pretty quick. All right. And then we've got a couple things, questions from patrons uh, that I think might, might take up a good swath of the episode. So let me give you first okay. the feedback here from uh, Daniel, uh, who is one of our patrons. Good to hear from you, Daniel. Haven't heard mm-hmm. from you in a little while. So it's uh, good to hear that you're still out there. Um. Uh, we had been talking in an episode about how some churches uh, or institutions will be gimmicky with the gospel. Yes, and I told uh, you right. the stories from my in-laws' experience when they were teenagers and that whole uh, <laughs> crazy, you know, literal—I guess you could call Literally it a hellscape. Through, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, it's, it's what it was. Um, and and the illustration that I gave um, that um, one of our other patrons had told us about the church where they had um, a preacher, I think it was Larry Brown that was preaching, and they simulated 
thunder and lightning or what have you, and you know, to scare people uh, while the man was preaching and giving an invitation or such. And it turns out it was a sunny day outside. So Daniel replies with this feedback and he says, I appreciate your recent episode regarding different methods used to give the gospel. And uh, he references here Romans 1.16. Uh, which teaches us mm-hmm. that the gospel of Christ that is the it's the gospel of Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. And he says, I do not believe it is necessary to use any outlandish or gimmicky methods to reach the lost with the gospel. The power to reach the lost is in the message of the gospel itself. If we will do our due diligence to present an effective gospel message and not just run through the Romans road or get someone to say a prayer, but effectively get them to see who they really are and who Jesus Christ really is. And what he's done for them, that is all the power right there. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit can then use that to convict. Now, it is true that most people will reject it. Even Christ talked about that more than once. I think there is a serious problem in our independent Baptist movement to leave off of presenting an effective gospel message and turn to gimmicks. This has resulted in multitudes of false conversions and an extremely weak church membership. Thank you and keep up the good work. I enjoy every episode. And this from Daniel McGovern. <clears throat> um, I, I I can't really add to that. That's that says it all. Um, <laughs> I, excellent excellent feedback. Thank you for that. Yeah, Daniel. Daniel did thank you have you. any comments? Well, my thought is that you know sometimes we we uh, assure not assure people we warn people. There's nothing you can do uh, in salvation, you know, to add to the work of God. Uh, you know, it's not your baptism. It's not this. It's not that. You can't add to it. It's all you know. It, it, it's Christ's work, and yet, some, and yet, on the flip side, when it comes to presenting the gospel, uh, we have you know many have fallen into that trap of feeling like they have to add something to the gospel itself to make it compelling or effective. Um, yeah. And that's what we're talking about: is those gimmicks. I would would add this um, side thought. I was just talking to. Um, uh, another elite patron here just recently and talking about the, and I, I know we've addressed this in the past, but just to touch on it again, talking about um, stirring the emotions in the, in preparing a way for, um, uh, for the gospel in, in evangelism. And I, and it's, it's one of those things where emotions are such a powerful thing that it's not that they're wrong. Uh, and it's not that, uh, there can't be an emotional appeal in a way, and yet um, it can be used as a manipulative tool. And so you have to be very mm-hmm. careful when you're dealing with emotions. If you're just a, you know, if you're a person, just a genuine person, you're given the gospel and you're talking about the sacrifice of Christ and you begin to tear up a little bit and that's genuine. Great. You know, but if yeah. on the other hand, you, you uh, present, um, you know, you present something and you're just trying to manipulate their emotions to get them to make an emotional decision, <laughs> even though the emotional component may be somewhat the common denominator, yet in one, it's it's used improperly, I think. And you just have to be very careful um, with uh, you right. know, emotions are legitimate. Uh, you know, the some responses to the gospel should be emotional, um, yet we have to be careful with that. And that's what I think part of the, a lot of those gimmicks are is uh in some ways a stir well maybe not the storm one or the hell one maybe that's a fear I, maybe we i don't know if we'd call that an emotion but anyway it's just uh you just really have to be careful with that um yeah and i'm kind of hard pressed to think that there would be someone who's giving the gospel using emotional manipulation who is at the same time intellectually honest enough to admit that they do that oh yeah 
Yeah. yeah. I kind of, I kind of doubt it. I think, you know, people who use that kind of emotional manipulation to get a result, um, I don't think that they would admit that they're doing that, mm -hmm. um, to themselves or to anyone else. <clears throat> um, well, and, and, and while maybe you could, you could reason it with them and say, now look, look let's st stand back and see what, well, what is this? But don't you think that a lot of them are kind of, um, bred into that in a sense that oh, yeah. at a certain yeah. point, they're not, they're not thinking every step necessarily, oh, I'm doing this as a, uh, you know, marketing sure. or whatever. Well, it's a, it's a dangerous bait and switch that in many ways characterizes the process of generational foolishness. And what mm -hmm. I mean by that is, you know, a, a kid hears the gospel at a young age, he might hear the genuine gospel and be born again, but throughout the course of his upbringing in certain circles, he's retrained that the bait and switch has happened in that the gospel is presented in such a way that it is emotionally manipulative. So he might have genuinely gotten born again at some point in his life, but somewhere along the way, he's led to believe that manipulation is in effect equal. It is equivocated. It is one and the same hmm. with giving the gospel. And uh, he might start doing that himself, and then you know eventually he'll grow up and he'll teach his, his family to do the same thing, or he'll go to a church where they do the same thing and so on. Mm. And it just perpetuates one generation after the next to where after a while, people think they know the real gospel, but they don't. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, not, yeah. Not, not to throw a shameless plug in there, but there is a series of articles on the reasontogether.fm website um, regarding Charles Finney, um, which mm -hmm. essentially deals with that. And, um, I admittedly, I didn't pull any punches in it. And essentially I'm suggesting that for many in the independent Baptist movement today, what they think is actual church, what they think is actually presenting the gospel isn't. Mm. And wow. it's because of generational yeah. foolishness. Okay. Yeah. So take a look yeah. at the, uh, at the blog there, reasontogether.fm. And, yeah. um, and yeah, anyway, uh, it makes me think of something I was just listening to in a podcast, uh, not our podcast, <laughs> but in a <laughs> podcast um, yesterday as I was listening to one. And it's not just uh, it, it similar to what we're talking about that and it makes me think it's not just a fundamentalist problem either um, that uh, there was one mega church pastor, you know, that they said he basically he was basically saying, look, I'm the most effective at this. You just got to get people in the door, you know, get them to hear me. And, uh, and I'll do the job <laughs> and, uh, that might be a little bit, a little bit off topic, but, um, anyway, a, now, a little but, bit, but it's, Daniel, it's tangential, but Daniel said, you know, that we do need to give an effective, you know, just to run through some verses. Well, I learned the plan. I read these five verses and you say the prayer. Well, no, to understand yeah. what is the gospel? What am I trying to tell them? What's the good news? Uh, what do they need to know? And to be able to effectively share the gospel, you know, communicated, uh, uh, genuinely from heart to heart yeah. is, is good. Well, yeah. And to your point, and, and not to belabor it, because um, I know we have other things to get to, Yeah. but perhaps the biggest evidence of this hypocrisy in independent fundamental Baptist circles is the fact that when we really do want to see something happen, and I put something loosely in, in air quotes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. look at the people that are invited to speak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't invite just regular pastors, right? <laughs> they don't invite just regular pastors. No, they invite the most dynamic and wild personalities uh, to speak at these conferences and events where they want things to happen. 
because what they're actually admitting is a hypocritical thing. They're admitting that they they really don't believe in the power of the Bible. They don't believe in the power of the gospel. They believe in the power of oration mm. and personality. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, prove it and invite some boring people next year who can preach the gospel. They won't do it. <laughs> hmm. so, Interesting. Interesting. Anyway. Yeah. Good. All right. What's the next uh, set here? All right. <clears throat> next thing we've got here is some short questions. Um, okay. At least I think they'll be short. <laughs> so this one is from <laughs> uh, Pastor Floyd Yoder. Okay. Um, hello, Floyd. Good to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and he just to kind of shorten the email here, uh, I don't want to read the whole thing for you. Um, the main question is, <clears throat> there were several missionaries that he'd known, um, known of that were older folks, uh, elderly, uh, some retired, some widowed, and they've, they've wanted to have their support, their missionary support continued mm-hmm. into their, into their older years. And he, Floyd says, as you know, there had been a movement by many fundamentalists years ago to opt out of social security. Right. Because after all, the Lord was coming back and what good would that retirement money be to them when it could have been used on the mission field? And he asks, what are your thoughts? Was this council of faith or a fumble? Are, the, are, are you then not, quote unquote, watching if you have a retirement fund? Um. <laughs> and uh, meaning watching for the Lord's coming if you have a mm-hmm. retirement fund. And then he references Proverbs 13, 22, which uh, if I'm not mistaken, has to do with uh, a prudent man or a wise man leaving an inheritance to his children's children. Um, <clears throat> so so he's kind of, in a way, Floyd, you're, you're on the right tractor, I think, answering your, your you're kind of answering your own <laughs> question. Um, but uh, he's asking for our thoughts. So do you want to hit that first? Sure. Uh, the return of Christ, you know, we we teach and preach is imminent, meaning could be at any time. We don't know when. Paul thought he was in the last days, you know, nearly 2,000 years ago. And mm-hmm. so um, the, you know, the, 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 the idea of being rooted down here uh, is a problem, meaning uh, I'm so uh, entrenched in the, the things of life that I don't want to go. That's a problem. But um, the flip side of that being that the Bible teaches a financial responsibility, which uh, which calls us to look to the ants and to to prepare in the summer for mm-hmm. lean times to come. And part of that uh, it, in the American economy is enabled through, um, you know, retirement plans and things like that, where you can invest um, and then that has to be something that you consider uh, between you and the Lord as to as to how much, you know, uh, how, how many millions are sufficient uh, yeah. to, you know, to be satisfactory. But to to plan to tuck away money and to plan for the future in a time when you won't be able to provide for yourself uh, is not an ungodly thing, nor is it uh, counter scriptural. Right. Uh, it's not a thing that that demonstrates a lack of faith because. We need to be doing today, uh, you know, what we ought to be doing today, regardless of whether the Lord comes or not. You understand? Yeah, you know, if, sure. if, we, well, if we knew the Lord was coming and we say, oh, he's coming uh, in 12 hours. Well, yeah, sure. Things would look different, but we don't know when he's coming. And so we have to do today like we may have done yesterday, you know, make our list, decide what's the best thing to do and keep moving forward. And that includes yeah. providing for our family in the future. 
Yeah, yeah. Faith is never the antithesis of preparation. Good way to put um, it. Good. You know, I, and, and, you know, for the same reason that, you know, people who say, you know, I'm not going to put away for retirement because by faith, I believe the Lord is going to come and that he and that if he doesn't, he's going to take care of me. So I'm just not going to save for retirement. The same people probably wear a seatbelt when they drive. Um, <laughs> and, and do you see do you see the, the failure in logic there? Yeah. Um, if you're going to take that kind of faith to not prepare for retirement, well, then. Go through the windshield the next time you get in a car accident and trust the Lord to prepare for you uh, to, to not crack your skull open. Um, no, well, that would be stupid. <laughs> of, of course, we we take safety precautions with things. We prepare for things. Uh, you know, we buy homeowners insurance. Uh, right. You know, we, yes. we buy yes. life insurance, all of these things. That Does that mean you have a lack of faith? No, it just means you're a wise preparer. Yeah, uh, Those good, two things are examples. not an- antithetical to each other. Good. That that's a uh, yeah, very good uh, thoughts there. Uh, the reason why it came to my mind so quickly is is not because I'm I'm that sharp. It's just because <laughs> this this was an illustration I had used one time. <laughs> Someone had asked me, you know, with all the training that I'd been doing in uh, you know mar- mixed martial arts, yeah, uh, you know, and and weapons training and self defense stuff like that. Uh, someone said, "Well, why you know, aren't you a pastor?" And I said, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> and they said, don't you just think you need to trust God to protect you? And the first thing that came to my mind to ask this woman was, do you wear a seatbelt? <laughs> <laughs> and and it's really the same argument, really, is, you sure, know, should a Christian sure. avoid learning to defend themselves because they should just trust God to defend them? No. <laughs> that. And, and it stri- yeah, that strikes on uh, another conversation, which we're not necessarily going to have right now, but Floyd brings up this idea of um, the, uh, the approach to the Lord's coming. Like, it could be any minute, so I don't have time to do such and such. And it kind of rushes things. So I, what, spend four years training for ministry? No, I got to get out there and win souls. You know, it's going to hell and, and blah, blah, blah. And the, the, the rushed approach to things without preparation and that you, and you and you strike on that 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 preparation isn't isn't anti-biblical to to prepare myself but that takes time mm-hmm. and w- while we may feel like well what, but I'm not doing the work while I'm preparing well maybe not in the same way or to the same degree but as you prepare you're only you know multiplying your ability down the road and um, anyway interesting conversation yeah. to to that doesn't just apply in finances um, right. It hits other areas too. Good. Thanks, Floyd. Um, to go back to some feedback real quick. I forgot about this. Okay. Um, <clears throat> this is from the patron message board here. Okay. And this is from our last episode, which was our, our Thanksgiving episode. And there's a comment here from Nathan that I wanted to point out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> by the way, thank you guys for, uh, for interacting on the message board there. Yes. Leaving comments. Good. Yes. Um, he says, I enjoyed the discussion about questionable evangelism. One thing that bothers me is the acting out of a person accepting Christ, such as in a skit. On deputation, I've been at church at a church's VBS where the skit all week starred a puppet bird that interacted with the pastor. At the end of the week, the bird prayed to get saved, though I didn't oh and, and wouldn't make a big deal about it. It made me a little uneasy, and I'm not exactly sure why. 
I think I would have had the same reaction if it were a person getting saved rather than a bird. So I think the issue is more about the fake conversion than the fact that it was a bird. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. Um, I couldn't help but chuckle (laughs) when I first read it. I'm just picturing like some parrot, you know, some poly like parrot, you know, (laughs) praying a prayer in that, that voice, that parrot voice, Um, (laughs) which I suppose maybe is somewhat uh, apropos to the way that the gospel is often given. Just repeat after me like a parrot. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm not saying it was done there that way. No, I'm not saying that. I don't know where the skit was done or who did it or anything like that. It could have been, could have been done just fine. Um, I know for me, when I've seen skits or things like that, it it does bother me too. And the majority of the time, it's, I think it's because, I think it's because you almost never see it in the way it really happens in the the real world. It's over-dramatized, you feel like? (laughs) It's over-dramatized and it's too easy. Um, You know, there's always these fanciful stories in in skits where, you know, some person starts out kind of... um, uh, aggressive toward the Christian in the story. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, mm-hmm. there's the antagonist and the protagonist in the story. The antagonist is aggressive and, and hates the gospel and hates Jesus. And some series of cataclysmic events takes place and the protagonist is able to then be a help to this antagonist. And by the end of the story, they're able to just in some broken way, pour out their heart to God and ask for salvation. Um, it's what, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's never happened that way. Mm-hmm. in the field. But I mean, really, when? I mean, when when do we see that sort of thing on a regular basis? And it almost presents the gospel in, in a, a weirdly fanciful way. Um, it's most of the time not that dramatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a word that uh, you could say is it romanticizes uh, the gospel. Right. Um, I don't, part of me though, you know, veers from that opinion and saying, you know, I can understand if you, if you put on a sketch of some sort that, you know, you don't have three and a half days to try to, um, to try to line out a realistic approach. And so you kind of have to squish everything together, you know, Mm -hmm. and whoever writes the story kind of, uh, you know, gets to decide how this guy gets converted. And I can understand both sides in that, yeah, it's kind of the romanticized approach on the other side. Uh, at least it's the idea of conversion. Yeah. I think honestly, maybe the bird would bother me a little bit more <laughs> in that yeah. it's a bird because same reason I don't like veggie tails. Um, you know, <laughs> that there's a, you know, cu- a stalk of cucumber that represents the captain of the host of the Lord. And- I can say with pride, I've never seen it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not, not that it's not entertaining, but I just have to question whether it's a deeply irreverent at points. Um, but yeah. anyway, so anyway, but that's, you know, it's not a, that I'm going to take this guy to task and never, and I don't even know who it is, but I mean, you know, not that I would say, yeah. you know, brother, we can't be friends anymore because you used a bird and a skit, whatever. Okay. But maybe it's some weird spiritual version of the uncanny Valley. I don't know. Are you familiar with that? No. Uh-uh. So have you ever seen a mannequin in a store? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. That doesn't typically bother most people because a mannequin doesn't really have a face. Right. Mm-hmm. right. But if you've ever seen like a mannequin where it not only has a face, but it's an eerily realistic face. 
mm-hmm. like some, some representations of humans uh aren't that realistic it doesn't fool you really it's just kind of oh, okay that's, that's supposed to look like a person and then others are very close <laughs> very close to looking real but uh-huh. yet we're humans we know it's not real we can tell there's something dead behind its eyes we know it's not real and there's this weird creepiness about it um which has been termed and i don't know the origin of the, of the term the uncanny valley if i remember right huh and i wonder if it's kind of a similar way if you're watching a parrot <laughs> make a profession of faith <laughs> in that. christ part of you just goes that's kind of creepy and weird because like, it looks looks like a gospel interaction it looks like someone becoming born again but it's it's a bird. It's not. It's a bird. <laughs> it's weird. I don't know. I'm just rambling here. Anyway. <laughs> okay. We have Let's move on. Any other questions here? Um, okay. So we covered this one here about um, social security. Oh, I guess, you know, one thing we forgot to touch on with, with Floyd's question, it, we, we talked about retirement. He mentioned social security in particular. Just as a side note, you know, social security exists. Okay. Um, right. at least for now, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not super happy that it ever did. Right. Like, exactly. I don't, I don't think it was a wise idea for a government to essentially take over that part of community in which it provides for people in their retirement. Um, just as a side note, just so you know, where, where I kind of stand on that. Right. Yeah. It, it's one of those things. And yet it's one of those things that you can't just strip away from society at this point. It's like, no. you know, it's like putting a knee brace on somebody who doesn't necessarily need a knee brace. And then, uh, you know, 50 years later, if, if, when they're dependent on the brace, you're like, eh, no, I'm going right. to take that back off. And then they can, no, they can't walk, whatever. Sure. Um, it has been the source of repeated social ills to this day now where people abuse it and take advantage of it, um, who, who should not really be doing that. Um, not but, that everyone's doing that, but but people that you know certainly can't hardly run the government. Sometimes knowing how to how to invest your money for the best return for you personally, you know, it's kind of laughable. But um, nonetheless, I certainly wouldn't opt out of it. Um, with it would go, I think, Medicare. Um, and so, if you opted out, now you not only have a some form of a retirement, but also a you know medical insurance essentially in your older years, yeah. if I understand correctly. So. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, good. There are three listener questions on here Four, actually three of them have been on here for a little while. Okay. I'd kind of like to see if we can ram those through here before our time is out. Okay. Um, the first one is dealing with the, the subject of looking ahead to the cross. And this is from one of our patrons, Michael. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he says here, perhaps you can discuss what your thoughts are on this quote. Belief comes from Old Testament people looking to the cross and New Testament people looking back to the cross. I was asked if this was fundamental heresy. Okay, so it is an incorrect statement, but um, my my question would be the word heresy, of course, uh, defining the word heresy. Uh, what does that, would I, would I go be so strong as to call it a heresy? I don't, I don't know that I would word it that way, but, um, looking forward to the cross, uh, and again, I guess it kind of depends on what you mean by that, but, um, you know, Old Testament people didn't know of a cross per se. Um, they, not they specifically, didn't, right. They, they understood, uh, at least some of the faithful did, 
understood of a coming Messiah. And if they really understood, then they understood uh, some component of the sacrifice that was necessary that, uh, that God had required from the beginning, you know, the shedding of blood uh, to pay for sin. Now, did they see a mm-hmm. cross? Did they, did they necessarily know his name other than Emmanuel? Um, the details obviously were, were foggy, uh, but they understood the concept of a coming sure. deliverer. So yeah, well, I mean, it, it it wouldn't have been too hard to put the pieces together for a thinking person. Um, if you think about, if you can follow, if you can sort of follow the trail of thought from Abraham, he lives in a post-flood world, right? Correct. Um, yes, the world had already seen God destroy nations of men from the planet because of a sin problem. <laughs> yes. Um, after the flood, he sees God confound an incipient nation of people who were building a tower (laughs) to perhaps avoid another flood (laughs) um, or worship the heavens or what have you. God confounds them with language because of a sin problem. And God's promise to Abraham with the famous Abrahamic covenant was, I will make of thee a great nation. Nation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and he promised him kings will come out of thee and, and that this would be an everlasting covenant that he would make with Abraham. So if you, if you follow the logic in that, it stands to reason that Abraham, living when he did in history, would conclude, okay, the nations have failed because of a sin problem, but God's going to make a nation. And if God makes a nation, he must of necessity solve the sin problem. God's going to do nation making better than mankind has, <laughs> wow. right? Um, so God's going to do it better. And, and in that sense, Abraham is almost, if he's a thinking guy, and I believe he is, he's going to look ahead to a nation that the Lord will use to solve the sin problem. Um, the question is, did he see an individual uh, coming forth from that nation? And uh, I personally believe he did. Uh, based on the the promise from Genesis that that had been known back in Genesis three fifteen since Adam's day that God would mm-hmm, solve mm-hmm. the sin problem with the seed of woman he would mm-hmm. defeat the work of the serpent um, and that's why Isaac was so precious to Abraham mm-hmm. is because he sees not only a great nation in which God is going to solve the sin problem but he sees now a seed an individual uh, from which that will eventually come um, and Jesus even said of this that. Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he Mm -hmm. saw it and Mm -hmm. was glad. Um, So Mm -hmm. I I can't help but think that Abraham was a thinking man and put the pieces together and understood that there would be an individual who would come and solve the sin problem. And and like you mentioned, to your point, the sacrificial system had also been around Mm -hmm. since the days of Adam and Eve. I think they knew how sin problems were solved. Yeah, not, yeah. yeah, correct. Well, not a system of yeah. sacrifice. Although, in a sense, you might call it a system. Not the not the the law that the Israelite system, as we understand it, as given in the right. law. But really, obviously, there was there were sacrifices from the beginning. Yeah, and it was a system in the sense that there were parameters to it, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's really all that there there was to it. There were parameters. There was a right and wrong way to sacrifice, as proved by the story of Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet they knew how the sin problem gets solved and it was with the shedding of blood. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I think Abraham understood putting the pieces together. God's going to make a nation. He's going to do it better than men, meaning he's going to solve the sin problem. It's going to involve the seed of a woman. So an individual who will come forth from that nation. And if he's a thinking guy, he's going to realize too, 
the sin problem is only solved by the shedding of blood. Uh, that that wouldn't be further clarified until you get to perhaps the writings of David, and and further still the writings of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Are there earlier passages than 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 some of the Psalms and, and Isaiah 53 that deal with the suffering of the Messiah, or are those the earliest? Not that I can think of. I'm just kind of drawing a blank, but okay. okay. Well, I know I know at least those those uh, those two works that the Psalms, some of the mm-hmm. Psalms. Um, I think Psalm 22, sure. 78, Psalm seventy eight, maybe I can't recall. Um, they deal with the suffering of the Messiah. Um, so you can see. I mean, am I am I making sense? You can see how Abraham would have put the pieces together. Yeah, and now- and God makes this promise to him, and he believes the promise. And, and Paul tells us later that it was Abraham's belief in what God had said that counted to him for righteousness. Yeah, particularly the, what God had said regarding the uh, making of a, his, you know, multiplying of his seed as the stars of heaven is what he right. uh, believed in. And it was counted to him for righteousness. But you're making good points here. Um, but I, I'd have to say, you know, sitting back, I much prefer your explanation Um it's more uh, real life, if you will. It's more um, graspable than to simply make this summarized statement that really kind of muddies the waters and um, and adds a little too much to say, the Old Testament saints look forward to the cross. And be like, what? What, is that? what does that mean exactly? Right. Well, but when you explain well, what like the a- scripture actually says and how that worked, you know. Well, and it's also in addition to explain what the scripture says is, is you got to try and put yourself in the shoes of Abraham and and try and know what he knew and what he didn't know and, and see, could you have put the pieces together uh, knowing yeah. only what he knew? And and I think it's certainly feasible. It's certainly possible. And, and as Jesus said, since Abraham saw his day, meaning the mm-hmm. day of, of Christ, I think Abraham was smart enough and spiritual enough and wise enough that he did put those pieces together. Um, yes. Um, there's a, I'm, I'm looking up Galatians 3 here. Um, there's a passage there, Galatians 3, 8 and 9. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying... In these shall all nations be blessed, so that so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Hmm. And and more more properly, you could think of it this way: the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith before the gospel preached unto Abraham. <laughs> uh, in other words, before the the gospel we know of the New Testament, it was preached in the Old Testament, hmm. and it was the same gospel. It was a gospel of faith, um, yeah. and that's why he he concludes there that they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham, meaning that the gospel was not a different gospel in the Old Testament. It was the same. It's since they were looking forward to the sacrifice of Christ if they could put the pieces together, which many of them did, and we look back to it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, obviously that's a better way to put it, uh, looking forward to uh, the sacrifice and, and they may, whether they understood it was a sacrifice, yeah, and some, yeah, a sacrifice of the Christ, the anointed one. So I, I feel mm-hmm. like, okay, now that's a very accurate statement. And to me, um, coming kind of stepping back and looking at it from an apologetic perspective, you know, that explanation um, helps it to, it, it basically demonstrates the reasonableness and the rationality, if you will, of the 
statements of scripture and of the the faith of Christianity, but to make but to make kind of trite, not quite accurate statements that Old Testament believers look forward to the cross just makes us sound shallow and kind of a little uninformed. And it doesn't mm-hmm. like, well, really, how does that work? Well, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I don't know how it worked. You know, well, well, that's just, you're just believing it on faith and all that. But yeah. if you can explain, no, this is what the scripture said. This is how history flowed. This is, this was what reasonably they could have understood from the things that they knew and they were told. And here's what the Bible tells it. You know, to me, you put up those pieces together. Wow. Now you're making a nice solid argument that, mm-hmm that leads to less criticism and mockery of the Christian faith because it's actually a reasoned response. Yeah. I, I have a note here that I wrote down a while back on John eight fifty six, which was the verse that I mentioned first, where Jesus said that Abraham saw his day and was glad. Mm-hmm. And I have a cross-reference here written to Romans 1, uh, 1 and 2, where in Paul's uh, greeting there, he writes, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Mm-hmm. Again, just citing Neat. proof yeah. that the, the gospel yeah. was not a New Testament invention. Right. Uh, it was it, not. It was the same gospel that was in the Old Testament. <laughs> and, the, and that gospel being, in a general sense, you're saying is, is faith in that resting upon the design of God for being reconciled to him. Whether they knew all the right. details of it or not, it was resting upon God's revelation of uh, how to be reckon- how to be yeah sure and and maybe not to split hairs on it. I think it's even simpler than that because Genesis fifteen six remember tells us that Abraham believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Mm-hmm. Paul says the same thing in Romans four about Abraham. So it's like, did Abraham believe in all the nuances of the gospel? Uh, at that point uh, in his life, you know, did he understand the cross? Did he understand right. Jesus? No. Did he? No. no, he didn't. He simply took the Lord at his word. And that is the foundational element of believing the gospel even still today. Do you take God at his word? And you can share someone the gospel from scripture and say, do you take that at his word? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, mm-hmm. belief in the Lord's words, that is the foundational element of the gospel. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, I, I know I heard silence and I'm like, did I say something wrong? Uh, pretty sure I didn't. <laughs> was your was your CD ROM coming around for another another how turn? Do, how do I tell Tom that he's a heretic? No. <laughs> just kidding. No, uh no, I yeah, I was just um yeah, I was thinking, but um but yeah, foundational, I guess would say, would that be true? Is is to yeah, uh, you know, take the Lord at His word, yeah, and um, right, that's another way of saying it. So, um, good, good. Now, I'm I'm thinking about a phrase that I read uh, before, and I could see where people might go. What? Wait, wait a minute. Uh, it could it could go the wrong direction with it. Though I I like um, I like what he said to a to a point. He would basically talked about the content of faith. So the gospel has always been faith, but the content of faith has changed, meaning they knew more over time. And that's what we're talking about is that the the details came into focus, but it wasn't a different gospel in the Old Testament than it was in the New. The content of faith changed, but the faith did not. Um, And and so that faith in God still had to be there. And, And it would still have to be a properly defined faith, meaning that 
as you say, they took God at his word or that they rested, uh, you know, they recognized the firmness of what he was saying and saying, yes, that is true. But was he saying a man named Jesus Christ is going to die on a cross on a Roman hillside, you know, whatever. And, and, um, and not a Roman hillside, but you know, on a, on a hillside somewhere uh, under the hand of the Romans. Well, what? You know, no, they didn't understand those, but it was still faith that saved. The gospel's never been different than that. There's not different yeah. ways to to God. It's always been by faith. Right, right. Um, well, that one took a little longer than I was thinking. I thought we'd be able to get to these other ones. <laughs> well, uh, I'm looking at minutes. I'm looking at these others. Do you think we could fit any of these in a few minutes? I'm not for sure uh, what you're looking at exactly. Um, I want to hit the baptism for the dead. <laughs> that one's been on there for a while. That one was sent in to us by our, our good friend over at the Take the Coffee podcast, Ethan. Okay. okay. Um, and uh, I'd like to hit that one. Maybe that's a good one to do in like three minutes because we're like, oh, yeah, it just... <clears throat> and a swig of coffee and then be like, oh, I'm sorry. We're all out of time, but we've covered that question. <laughs> well, okay. So... <laughs> all right, challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. I'm going to try and do that in three minutes. <laughs> all right, do it. And then I'll be like, I'm sorry, I don't have time for comment today. We got to go. And then, uh... <laughs> All right, here's my understanding of it. I'm not super dogmatic on it because I really don't think you can be. Um, but my point is, is going to be if if the baptism for the dead was a perversion of the gospel in Corinth, where it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, 29. And let me read that verse real quick. Um, okay. First Corinthians 15, 29, it says, yes. uh, uh, else what shall they do, which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why yes. are they then baptized for the dead? Okay. Yeah. So a couple things. Notice he says they, he doesn't say we. Mm. So he's referring to someone else who is baptizing for the dead. It's not something he personally does or is involved in. He says they, but if this was a perversion of the gospel, why didn't he spend more time attacking it like he does with some of the things he deals with in Galatians? Mm -hmm. It's simply just passing by that he mentions this in 1 Corinthians 15, 29. One writer that I did read on this suggests that for this reason, whatever it was they were doing this baptism for the dead for uh, was just a misunderstanding and didn't necessarily change the way that they presented the gospel in Corinth. And his contention was, and I'll link this article in the show notes, uh, his contention was that he believes the church in Corinth was essentially uh, baptizing uh, each other. They were baptizing each other for Christian brothers and sisters who had died before they had the opportunity to get baptized. And they believed that the baptism, in a sense, gave them some sort of spiritual benefit in heaven. Hmm. but that it wasn't necessarily a means of saving their soul from like a purgatory or hell. Mm -hmm. um, so like, for instance, Catholics take that verse to give them credence for the idea of doing anything for the dead oh, to, to okay. save their soul. And Mormons take this even further to suggest that this is a means of saving someone uh, really uh, completely efficaciously just by being baptized for them. Well, that's not what it means. Otherwise, I think Paul would have attacked this voraciously um, if it perverted the gospel in Corinth, but he doesn't. He just passes it by. So this writer, and and I'm I'm kind of, I sort of agree with him. I, I don't know what else to think of it, is that the Corinthians were being baptized for people who were already saved, but died before they were baptized. Um, and he was pointing out the fact that it's illogical 
for some of these Christians in Corinth who were at the very same time, and this is the context, they were teaching that there is no res- resurrection from the dead. And the whole context of the chapter is Paul is giving logical proofs that if there's no resurrection from the dead, our faith is vain. This is all stupid. So he's saying, first of all, you're not being logical. If you say there's no resurrection for the dead, then why are some of these people baptizing each other for the dead? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's the point that he's making there um, in 1 Corinthians 15, 29. It's not advocating for a practice. He's simply pointing out the lack of logic in the practice. Yeah, I could see that. Um <clears throat> yeah, is without really addressing the issue, and, and, and it, it kind of makes me think of uh, Paul in another passage referencing, uh, you know, maybe a, uh, a secular poet or uh, you know people in Crete say, okay, um, you know, he, he's referencing other things, and it's not so much to to delve into the theological soundness of the poets of Crete or whatever. It's simply to say. Uh, it's simply to reference something in passing, and I and I, that what you're saying makes sense. That look, even you know, agree or not agree, if you're doing this, it doesn't it doesn't jive with what you're preaching over here. It's inconsistent because even you know the reason you're doing this is because you believe in a life in in a resurrection. Right. Okay. Right. I see. Did I make it in three minutes? No, I think I was like that was like four and a half. Oh well, I probably. added something, so we'll okay. give you that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's probably a good place to uh, call it quits and head over to the after show, which um, is for our elite patrons, which you can become if you want to be like Jacob. Um, you can head over mm-hmm. to patreon.com slash reason together, sign up to be a supporter of the podcast at the elite level, and you will get access to the after show plus a free t-shirt and uh, access to the patron message boards. And we'll, we'll call you out here on the episode like we did for Jacob and others. Um, <laughs> patreon.com slash reason together. If you have any questions or feedback on anything we've talked about today, you can send that to us at reason together podcast at gmail.com. Yes, we're encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.